Bem-vindos to one more episode of the Type Theory for All podcast. This is your host, Pedro Abreu, speaking directly from Purdue University in the United States of America in Indiana. Today's episode, I have two friends of mine, Patrick Lafontaine and Subban Absinhe. We will talk about their experience learning Coq and we guide ourselves in a survey that I gave all the 83 students in the class. Unfortunately, not that many answered, but we still got valuable insight. The class was taught by my advisor, Benjamin Delaware, and I was his TA. I would also like to point that Patrick researches compilers and have done work in particular with Rust. Sapon, on the other hand, works along the lines of machine learning, more in the context of systems. You get a better idea throughout the episode. Well, without further ado, let's get into it! I heard that none of you two actually had prior experience with Cox. Is that correct? I had like one week of experience. So when they taught uh, that that OCaml course, CS thirty one ten, I think they might have they did like one or two weeks where they're like, "Hey, here's this cool idea of like uh, proofs as programs," and they, they did an absolute crash course of like they covered like auto and induction and like data types. And I, I don't think we got any farther than that. We had like one one homework we had to do on it, and I don't think we ever touched it again. But I'm yeah, curious. Do you remember what your impression impressions were back then? Like, what this is, you know what I mean? Like, uh, if you thought mm-hmm. it was weird or if it made sense or what what's going on there? So it was luckily. I guess we were doing. We came from. We're doing this whole course in OCaml, right? So. And they dropped mm-hmm. us in it. So for a lot of us, OCaml was the first functional programming language we got to use. So for all intents and purposes, like this is this is what a, a functional programming is, is whatever you can do in, in OCaml. And then Coq is pretty close, at least in terms of like syntax and like the, the look and feel of it uh, in ter- when you're writing these kinds of things. And then after that, it just like, I mean, they really sell it to you. Like uh, here's this cool little addictive game where you can try out different things and you can try out different tactics and you know, hopefully you can just kind of auto it away or, you, you know, you, you, you come up with like one or two like nice like ideas to like structure your proof and then poof, your whole thing works out nicely for you. And then you, you'll feel good afterwards. So I actually just you... remember hmm? the, yeah. they had one homework and the homework was a breeze for most of it. And then there was one final problem that uh, one final proof. I don't even, I don't remember what the proof is. I could probably find it if I wanted to, but, um, and it's, everybody got stuck on it for like, hours and where this is the one thing like you, you go to office hours and the whole thing's packed there's people out the door and we're all trying to figure out this one proof <laughs> and i remember we're stuck on it and then i leave afterwards and i go and i sit down for like 30 minutes after the office hours and i, and I somehow something everything clicks and i figure it out and, I, and it was like the the best feeling ever uh, the best feeling yeah. like of all time yeah. like oh I figured out this super hard thing and it like, it now, I mean, in retrospect, now, if I tried to do, it, I'm sure it was not hard at all, Yeah. but like in the moment, like, it's like, oh, this is so cool. But I think then afterwards, I never really got the chance to, to do anything with, with, with cock afterwards. So like, and so all I really remember is like induction and auto. And so I, I really enjoyed like this, you know, taking five, six, five, cause now I actually go, I get to go a little bit deeper and like, what are we actually doing here? And yeah. you know, yeah, getting came to see the differences, dude. I really relate to this joy of getting your proof done, and I'm I'm sure that many of the listeners will relate as well because it's just such a deep joy. I remember I, I remember distinctively 
the day I finished my undergrad thesis, because in Brazil, you had to do this stupid undergrad thesis. And I was stuck proving, I had to, so maybe maybe some people will know this, but I was proving that Java, um, I was proving that featherweight Java was was correct. So featherweight Java is this Pierce paper from back then, and they have some proofs there. So I was doing that proof, and then afterwards I, I added extra stuff to featherweight Java. But I remember I was stuck with some context bullshit for a very long time, for like months, and nobody could help me because I was pretty much working by myself because we didn't have a, really a call community in Brazil, you know, like in my university, and I was pretty much just banging my head against my 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 keyboard. And my advisor, he was started getting really angry at me. I'm like, just just choose an axiom or something. I'm like, no, I'm not using axioms. I want to get all the way through, right? And then this one night, I I I finally find a technique and and how things are, are properly done. And I stay I stay up until like 3:30 a.m. until everything goes through. I remember I was so happy. I was so, so happy that I started jumping around my house like 3.30 a.m. <laughs> just, just <laughs> celebrating with myself. It was like such a deep joy and things just click and make sense. It's just, ah, so good. That was the moment. That was the moment I decided to do a PhD. No, that's not really true, but it was one of the moments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. So... um. Right, 565. How do we transition here? <laughs> yeah, so you were you were saying, Patrick, that we were that you you were really happy to to go deeper. So you were saying that you were really happy to go deeper and, and learn actually what we're doing, what we're trying trying to accomplish here in, in 565. So what was your overall experience with the course and actually learning COG? Uh, I think overall, like it's a pretty, you have, everybody, I, I think everybody has overall like a pretty positive experience of this course. Like everybody, everybody really enjoys the idea of like, Hey, I'm, I'm actually going to be able to like write programs and like show that they're correct or that they show that they have these certain properties, which is something that like, you really don't get, you really don't get to the sense of when you do anything else. And especially, I guess everybody, and especially for me coming off of like taking all these other programming courses and like. You're writing all this code, especially a lot of my stuff is all C code, and like being always frustrated when you never knew if something was working exactly as you expected it to. Being able to like do to do these like do our homeworks in this in five six five, and like when you got to the end of your of your homework and the everything was green on your editor, and like there was no like admitted sections left, like that was that was always a good feeling, you know, because you you actually yeah. knew that you know what things are. I did some I did it right, you know. I don't know. Do you want you want something other, something else? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's 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 really great. That's really awesome. What about you, Sopan? What was your overall experience? Yeah, I think um, it's, uh, it's pretty similar to what Patrick said. Yeah. So I guess um, one of the main reasons I took this course is because um, I was always curious about this stuff. Because um, in Tiax Group, we we have this um, uh, large group meeting. Uh, where everybody like uh, gives like an update, and uh, we have a bunch of people who do these like core PL stuff, and uh, obviously they are doing some cock proofs and stuff, and um, they they discuss these things, right? So 
like i don't know operation semantics okay small step stuff like that i mean i had no idea about those stuff because i mean i didn't have any background and but i was always curious and um and then um, once i once i uh, took this course and i guess in the in the first couple of weeks i guess we covered most of like the fundamental stuff and i realized okay these are some really simple stuff and um, and also the the things they discuss uh, sort of start to make more sense right and uh, yeah 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 it was a nice feeling because um it, it's nice to nice to understand what other people are talking about yeah and, right uh, I, i definitely understand that feeling often enough you're reading that paper and apparently they take so much for granted right they start talking about this right. operational semantics and this denotational yeah. semantics <laughs> and all these rules here and there like what i have no idea what's going on like and they they just right. like they just throw it there and say yeah this is this is you know like all the the normal stuff that is already done in the literature in the right. past 60 years or something right and you're like uh <laughs> right yeah and and so, yeah. think about like the the inference rules it's a really simple thing right the notation yeah. and stuff but right. if you don't know it it looks like greek i mean love some greek letters but right. like it, you you don't understand anything right yeah 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 but, but it's yeah, once it's you really learn how to, to read it right exactly yeah yeah so it was super fun um, to learn that stuff and finally finally start <laughs> to understand some of the some of the stuff i guess yeah and i don't know i don't know if it applies to you but then you know it's just i remember when i was first learning this and it's just such a concise way to talk about all the all the possible scenarios that your program should behave in order to to do to be the interpreter right to to do the type checking and then the next and then you learn what are the questions that we're interested in asking here right like type soundness and then you understand this concept of progress and preservation and why those matter and why we're so interested about that right and then all of all the papers in a way that we've been working through especially i don't know i feel like especially here at, at Purdue we are always looking at papers from Popo from ICFP from where else CPP and all of those rely heavily in all of these details that is already well established in our community right so taking a foundational course like this definitely gives you a pretty good and solid groundings on how to how under, in order to understand these papers and what these people are going to be talking about you know like some sort of lingua franca where we can all understand each other right so yeah yeah definitely agree with with all of that that you that you were talking about so In our in our survey that we gave to the students, you guys, we made a, a couple of questions, and overall, I had a pretty pretty good feeling about how the students perceive the relevance of this course. Although, if they were answering this survey, I think they're a little already a little bit biased towards, you know, having liked the course and thinking this is relevant somehow for them, but. We had a couple of students here that answered the survey that they had no no background with functional programming ever before so cock was their first time learning any functional programming ever which was also the case for me as well which is 
which is weird when I think about it nowadays, because, <laughs> you know, like when you're learning copyrighted, thinking about the proofs and the properties, but then there is this pattern matching stuff that in my time, it was just so alien. So alien, like you go from Java and C and all of a sudden you're in this tiny little core programming languages and you have to think all of you have to think in all of your algorithms in a completely different way, right? Because uh, there is no for loops. There is no stuff that you're actually used to. Nowadays, I look back and like, oh, come on. For loops is just, you know, like an inter- iterator. And it's really obvious how to, how to accomplish this with, with you know, like a, a fold. But back then, you have no idea. You, your, your mind is fresh and you're trying to learn this new paradigm. It's like learning a new language from scratch. Like it's more than, than learning another programming languages. You're, you're learning another paradigm. You're learning how to think about your programs from scratch, right? So things will change a lot, and and it's normal to feel that you have no idea what's going on because things are, are completely different. You're in an alien land. Things are very very different here. So if you're just learning, if if our listener at this moment is, is just learning some some cock or some Agda and or Isabel, I don't know, and they feel kind of lost, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. Hopefully, soon, it will. things will get better. I promise. If, 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 you, if you keep trying hard enough, I don't know. I think, though, that, um, like, ho- hopefully, it's, it's slowly probably getting easier and easier to learn, pick up functional programming, because a lot of the popular languages that right. um, somebody might pick up uh, or might, like, initially start with, like Python, for example, like, Python has pattern matching. Like, and Python you know, has a lot matching? of like really, really it has something right. Come on, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's called structural. I'm kidding. The, I'm, the kidding pep- I'm kidding. It's called yeah. structural programming. I don't know whatever you want to call. It. But like, in a lot of these, and like that's the same thing like within JavaScript. And you know, you've got like um, anonymous functions, which are kind of like you know, in these like closure lambda kind of things. Like you start to see there's some of these things are they kind of like percolate their way through the through the the ecosystem. And a lot of these yeah. languages are picking up functional programming. Uh, like techniques. So even if you have like no functional, you know, programming experience, like hopefully, you know, maybe you've seen a language that has something resembling pattern matching and something like resembling uh, these different, uh, like the data structure, uh, the these data types. And you have right. something, you know. Right, right. You know, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely get what you're saying. I come, I'm, I'm older than you guys. So back in my time, you didn't have that much stuff like, I remember when I was when I was like halfway through college, Java eight came out, and then streams was a huge thing. And streams is exactly it's exactly this notion of iterators, right? Like having maps and having um, folds over your data structure. You know, like you can convert your list to a stream, and then you do all this nice, cool pro- functional programming sort of stuff. And I'm like, then I, I tried. I remember that I read, already knew functional programming language back then, and then when I was applying this, when I learned. When I was learning this stuff that was just coming out in Java, it was just so ugly. It was just so ugly because they were trying to get this really nice and and well behaved approach that you have in programming language from 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 the get go, and then apply it to a language that it's not like that by default, right? So they have to do some adaptations there. And I'm not saying that the adaptations were, were bad, just that Java does not provide the same paradigm that these functional programming languages do, right? So I usually, I, I remember that I would joke with my friends back then that I would be like, yeah, functional programming is like, <laughs> they're just trying to imitate and mimic the really good ideas that you have in functional programming because, you know, Haskell and Scheme and 
all camo have shown that they, they can really shine given the proper um, the proper use, right? And then these other languages are, are slowly taking these ideas in them. So for example, when algebraic data type was was created, it was like this little little really small functional programming language that was just for research purpose, right? And then this idea was just so beautiful and so simple. And pattern match comes from algebraic data types, right? Like you have pattern match as an eliminator for your data type. So like you have data type, you have algebraic data types, you have pattern match, right? And nowadays, if if you're building a new program language, you know, like a modern a modern program language, you will have algebraic data types. It's it's kind of it's kind of like really creeped in into into normal normal programming languages. Like Rust have have a notion of algebraic data type, right? And that's really exciting. That's really exciting because in functional programming language, you can test all these different ideas and they slowly creep in into the more, uh, what's the name, like normal, more used, you know, like more widespread programming languages out there like Java or TypeScript or Rust, right? And Python and, and, and all of that. And that's really exciting. That's really cool. That's really cool. That's that's why we, we, we are excited about doing this sort of research, right? Because we get to study this stuff and show that they are well-behaved and then you get to apply them in practice and they show that they are really useful and, and leads to really elegant and beautiful code, right? That is good to reason of and remain modular and all those cool properties that a good programmer cares about, right? Anyways, do you guys have anything else to add on, on that on that end? I mean, isn't this this is kind of why it's like exciting to be to be doing programming languages research right now, right? Because, well, I guess for our advisor TR, he, he, like one of the things he's kind of known for is his work on on Scala uh, with Martin Odersky, and like there's been right. a lot of interesting re research with Kotlin. Um, like, so both of these like languages that are based off Java and that they have in some sense some kind of strict interoperability. Requirements. They have to, you know, they have to interact with the Java ecosystem quite well. But you also want to start adding these things like um, uh, checking for null value. Like how, do you, like how do you enforce in your type system that you'll never access a null value, even if you're in interacting with Java, which has you know null values all over the place. Or now you also look at like Rust, which is like the super exciting programming language that comes out, and it it has linear types in it, or like this, or the, you know, a, a more practical implementation of some of this stuff. And has, you Let know, me ask you something. So, hmm? does Rust have no no pointer? Uh, a null pointer. Yeah. Uh, I guess if you use unsafe Rust, maybe you could, and you have a pointer type, you could just cast zero to it. But like, why would you ever use a null pointer when you have the option type? That's my point. No, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I w I'm thinking of how you know Tony Horror came out saying that the null pointer was. His worst mistake of his career, right? Like the one million, one billion dollar mistake. Yeah, billion, billion dollar <laughs> mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope, yeah, it would be really nice if if a a big language that is taken over like Rust doesn't just doesn't even allow having them nowadays. You know, like have really strong guarantees about about your types like that, right? I think this is something you can do in like in in like the Kotlin and TypeScript um, types of languages that where they interact with some underlying language like you know Java and JavaScript respectively that can have uh, these null values, but then you can overlay a type system on this, and right. so you can have 
you know, checks for null values. And then that, and so then at the type system level, you can like guarantee that after this point, after you did this check, this value will never have a null value, you know, going forward. So I don't know, this is why like type systems are cool. So moving forward with the survey that we had here, we have a, a few questions asking if they have familiarity with, oh yeah, before that, there is a question on how relevant they think that cock is, is for, for their, for their research. And uh, we had an eight and most of them are like two, three and four. Right. So like for most of people, I feel like, well, for most of people that answer this survey, I, I feel like even though they enjoy the process of learning, it's not really useful directly for them, which for me in particular is kind of like a pointer that we still need better tooling for for the kind of work we want to do with all this programming language research, right? Like with guaranteeing, guaranteeing safety of our code, guaranteeing the, the nice properties that we want to guarantee, right? Actually, it comes to, to a later question that are, what are the things that you like about Coq? And uh, we'll, we'll get there in a second. So anyways, my point being that, well, I feel like, like these people that answered the survey here, they were happy learning Coq and thought it was, it was a fun experience and they, they could learn some interesting stuff from it, even though it's not directly relevant and applicable for their their research really and most of them we have people here from that that does systems that does machine learning that does databases again it's not that many people but you know it's it's a well yeah one thing that we also forgot to mention is that this is kind of a required course right so for master students yeah Right. Yeah. Master students, they get to choose between compilers and programming languages. So in this semester in particular, I think we had, we had many more enrolled people than, than usual because we had a lot of new masters incoming that didn't start their, their research during COVID. I think they kind of postponed their acceptance after COVID. So there was this huge amount of new students that just came in and they have to to abide by these rules that they have to take either compilers or programming languages and com and programming languages was being compilers was also offered this semester, right? If I remember mm. correctly, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, Angelo, Angelo was a, a TA for compilers this semester, so yeah, that was no, it was uh, it was undergrad compilers. Oh, anyways, yeah. So programming languages <laughs> was this, was offered this semester, so the students decided to come here and and pick it up. So it was unusually a large amount of people. I think it's usually like 40 people. That is, this, this course is usually designed to accommodate 40 people. So we were like almost twice as many as many people taking this course this semester, which was very unusual. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a good thing though, because that means that there's a lot of new students who they have a reasonable degree of proficiency because they've made it to a master's. Uh, they're doing a master's. So they're, they're right. strong programmers. And we're introducing them to, in some cases, their entirely new par uh, paradigm uh, of functional programming. And and for everybody, I think, is introduced to this idea of like, you know, of, of formal proofs, which is super exciting. I agree. I agree. Even though, well, I don't know. I think like at, at the same time, we're kind of biased, right? 
we are biased here because we all are doing program language research. And I believe that everyone that does research think that their area of research is the most important research in the world, right? All other research are dwarfed by the importance of this. Like, so people will be, people in our field will be like, yeah, computers are taking over the world. So, and, and computers are run by programming languages. And so our, our field is, obviously yeah. the most important field there is right because even machine learning will be using our tools and i'm like yeah sure <laughs> sure yeah. and so are the doctors that have to treat you know cancer yeah. and and so are dentists that will make sure that we can eat properly i i just i just feel that i, I really don't don't like that this this encapsulation of these or that is more important but there is still a point being made that I mean, I feel most of the students, it's, it's not a feeling. I know this for a fact because I was looking at, at the numbers of the students that are admitted and I've been talking with professors and most of the students that apply for a PhD, they're going for, for machine learning. So most of the people, I want to I wanna, I wanna actually look at, at the actual statistics, but I know that most of the people that start a PhD here at Purdue, they are starting for, for machine learning, right? So it's fair to assume that most of the people who were here taking this course was for machine learning, right? So even, even if they don't see the immediate value of what they're learning in, the, in this course, there, there are things here and there that can always be useful for, for whatever they're going to do, right? So they will have a stronger foundation to understand what is actually going on when we're talking about a compiler, when we're dealing with, as, as Patrick said at the beginning, when you're dealing with with Python interpreter, right? So having this understanding, you know better what the error messages are going to mean or how to properly interact. And maybe even someday you, you need to come up with a patch for, for your example, right? For, for whatever program that you're using. So for example, I know that um, Lua is a very popular language for scripting, right? For um, providing the glue between different languages, right? So there, there are many, many subfields, many fields that use Lua a lot. And I know that Lua, the, I, was, I was watching this other podcast the other day. The creator of Lua is, is actually Brazilian. I don't know if you knew this. But he was like, they don't want to actually provide this canonical Lua like you have Python. In Python, you're supposed to be using 3.many, 3.11, 3.9, whatever. But because 2.7 is already outdated, right? But for Lua, they do the opposite. They're like, Hey guys, we have we're we're gonna keep keep doing improvements to Lua, and we don't care if we're gonna break things behind. So if you really need to use Lua out there in production, you have to stop. You have to fork our code, and just just maintain them yourselves, right? So whatever 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 person that is gonna be in charge of of maintaining this Lua code and Sometimes they even have to add something to this to this Lua code base. Having a course such as compilers and programming languages and understanding how programming languages can be kept safe, right? And what are the guarantees that we need for that and how to reason about our programs is definitely going to be really useful, even though it has nothing to do with, say, scripting and whatever scope you're dealing with Lua, right? But then again, just because you're you're using Lua, then maybe you have to maintain a piece of the code of Lua, right? Or add a new feature to Lua. These are going to be really, really important knowledge to have in your mind. 
So yeah, that was my point. Moving forward in the survey, we have here a question about the things that people kind of liked about Conk. So do you wanna do you wanna tell do you wanna tell us what what you liked about Conk, um, Patrick? Sure. I mean, I think we kind of hashed it a little bit. Is that uh, I liked proving that my code is correct and that like if you can lay out, it seems to me that like if I can lay out the semantics that I'm looking for and I can like properly describe what my language looks like and then I can go and actually formalize like, hey, this is what a, a um, this is what a correct interpreter like looks like and these are programs and if I run these programs, they'll exhibit the behavior that I expect. So correctness is like, correctness is kind of king, you know? Yeah. Super. I mean, I I don't have many opinions about cockets. I mean, you don't care enough about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just use it, and I I'm not sure whether I will use it ever in my life again. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I might. I might. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, though, that's like the that's like what most of these people who take this course are like, yeah. right? Most people are yeah, taking this yeah. course, like their master students or PhD students doing other, you know, doing systems for doing system stuff, like you. And they're like, they take this course because it's kind of cool and they learn some cool stuff. And, you know, I guess people, I guess like Ben and like the TAs like hope, hey, you know, maybe they'll, they'll take some cool idea from this. Like maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get some new appreciation for like what, what do the semantics of a language look like? Or like, how do you reason about whether or not your thing is correct or that kind of stuff? But then you're, you're going to go on and you're going to do your own stuff. And we just kind of, it's like when you take operating systems, you, people hope like, hey, maybe you'll have some new appreciation for how an operating systems work. And maybe in one niche case, you'll might, remember something that'll be helpful but you know otherwise you're going to kind of go on your way no yeah 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 that is true that is true yeah it's good to be so, aware of uh, the existence of cock and being able to prove these kind of cool properties about programs and um yeah i think it's Supan not is actually specific very good. to huh no I, th I feel like you're a very good like stereotypical student this is, yep. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> the really average. The <laughs> right, right. Because I'm not like the, I don't know, like the passionate PL guy. I'm right. just like an average, average mm. programmer mm. kind of a thing. So, yeah, I guess for me, yeah, it's pretty cool that we can prove stuff about programs. But I guess at the same time, one thing I felt about proofs that we did uh, was, I mean, the the world was kind of too perfect. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, especially there are no things like side effects and uh, the programs we looked at are kind of simple. And one, one question I had, like one, uh, yeah, I was curious whether these kind of things uh, scale to large, like real mm -hmm. world things. Um, and, um, yeah, that is, uh, that's one thing I felt. And, um, I think and... Ben definitely did a really good job in kind of, you know, if both Ben and Benjamin Pierce with Software Foundation, right? They do a really good job in protecting the students with the nasty details. So they're going to be like, Hey, this is the, these are the things that we want to do. And here's our code. Here's our, here's our setting. Here's this little piece of, of proof that I wanted to make, and it's it's non trivial, right? Like mm. you really you really right. have to use the the knowledge that you have acquired so far to hack things out. 
but at the same time, you're really protected in really this protected little world saying, well, you don't need to, to care about these nasty details around, right? Like for, for example, maps and context, you already had that for free, right? But mm-hmm, when you're actually right. implementing all of that, there are so many questions where you should do about maps and, and the Lambda abstraction and how to properly talk about your indexes and, and, and binding. That, those are hard, right. really hard questions. And, and these are, exactly. when, when you look, look, look on that from outside, they're so minute. They're so, such a minor implementation detail. But when you're actually sitting down and doing them, they're, they're a huge headache. So then Ben and, ben and Benjamin Pierce when on Software Foundation, they, re, they really do a good job to not allow you to be afraid of, of these huge pain points, I want to say, right? But I don't know. At the same time, having those pain points taken care of for you so that you can actually focus on the the important parts that we're going to look at, right? It's good because it allows you to learn the tool in a in an interactive way and you're still feeling like you're doing good progress and you're not spending too much time on, on details, right? And then later on, when you want to come back and actually maybe do a, a bigger project from scratch, you will be better equipped because now you have a, better, a much better understanding of how the system works, what you expect, what you should have in your head, in your mind, right? And then things will start getting more exciting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, and I guess we did get well, to see a little. Mm-hmm. We did get to see a little bit in terms of um, side effects because we covered featherweight Java, right? And that's where you start to interact with the heat, and you start to have like this other area where you start to where you have start to like deal with memory accesses in like a very simple sense. No. Uh... I think we had this discussion before, right? Oh no, uh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't really consider Federate Java to have a heap. That's not really a heap. It's different, but I, 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 I think I get your point because you you have to kind of like do some search and some graph tra- traversal in a sense to find where your method is actually implemented, right? In the in this lattice of of classes, right? Right, something those lines, right? Because you don't know where the method is, right? So you have to to keep going down and find oh, is this method here? Is this method here? And you keep going down, right? But you don't actually have you don't really have a region in memory where you're putting the value of your of your list, for example, or your actual variable, so that you can you can ax, you can reference that that region outside of the scope of your methods, for example, right? Or outside the scope of your of your class, for example, right? If you want to access your variable, you have to 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 have the the you have to have a get inside of your class, right? And call that get, right? Still very functional in that sense. I mean, didn't we lost. have dereferencing and stuff like this? Yeah, maybe I mean I'm, maybe I got mixed up a little bit. And once you start talking about classes, and I was like, oh no, I maybe yeah. I got mixed well, up. I, I think wasn't there like yeah, federate is was I think. The most important part was, I think, uh, reasoning about these uh, classes and like right. hierarchy of classes and uh, um, dynamic dispatch and stuff like that. So I think it, it does a good job at modeling that. I mean, I guess it's 
it models the the real thing. I know, I don't know. Right. I think it does. Right. I think for me, um, I don't know. I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of chewing to the the weeds now. And with Cock, I've been I've been doing my PhD for about for four years, and maybe four year four year more before that, I've been using Cock already. So I want to say that I consider myself a somewhat advanced user of Cock at this point, right? But one thing that I like about Cog is that, so for example, I'm doing I'm doing some research that I've been I've been doing some translation in Alchemo, right? And right now I'm trying to reason about about the the correctness of this translation. And I found myself I'm not doing it in Cog. I'm doing all pen and paper because I thought Cog would be too burdensome with all those 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 little details, right? So I don't need all of I don't need that that level of of reasoning, and I think it's going to slow me down. So I'm, I'm happy to do the pen and paper proof. That should be fine. But right now, I am in a point of my proof that I am trying to implement a very algorithm, algorithmic part of this translation. And I felt like the pen and paper proof was just so tedious, it was so boring. All these cases and checking if variables are the same or not, again and again and again, and induction. And uh, I was so bored. And like just going through the same sort of stuff over and over again. And I said, oh, well, why don't I do this in Cock? And things should be much faster, right? So I started doing it. And in two days now, things were so faster, like so much more fast because. Now I can use LTAX to get rid of the, all the, the boring details for me. And the final theorems that I'm interested in, they're, they're still there. And I can see if the high-level details are, are, are solid. And, you know, this, this minor... I didn't, I didn't actually implement the full thing. There, there are some cases in my language that is a little much more complicated than necessary. So I'm not actually doing that. So, but I can still reason about all of the other boring cases just to make sure that the stuff that I intuitively think should hold actually holds, right? And I'm, I'm not actually missing any of the of the boring corner cases, right? Because Cox is going to be really annoying to get to make sure that those corner cases are taken care of. So that's one thing that I think is exciting, not only for Cox, for any tier improving. It just happens that Cox is the one that I have the most familiarity with, right? Anyways, uh, there were some other opinions here as well for what people think that they, they liked Cog. There was one here that really drew my attention because it's been a while that I don't mess with, uh, that I don't actually, you know, like install Cog from scratch or use that Cog company that is a big thing nowadays. But I've heard some, some good things about that, but I didn't know how good it actually is. And there was one student saying that he really, he actually really enjoyed the tooling for Cog. The tooling for Cog is really good in my opinion. I rarely, I rarely had any trouble with the IDE and it, et cetera. And it was always worked as expected. Now, I think this guy is, is I don't know. I don't think cock never works or expected for me. So <laughs> this guy was, he was doing some stuff really right. I, he's good, man. He's good. I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud. This is our student, man. So there's another answer here saying that he really enjoyed the challenge. Problems are presented as logical puzzles for it to fiddle with, which is exactly what what Patrick was talking about. And well, and the no more sub goals message is incredibly satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the mood. That's that's definitely the mood. 
this is what we call video game theorem proving, right? You're just trying to play the video game and just blind detect it that actually actually fits here, right? <laughs> it's just a challenge to do that. There is another answer saying that the tactics are clear and the goals are distinguished properly. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's a... Uh... That's what I was saying. It kind of like helps you to think about the cases of your proof as well, because sometimes you're doing an induction and it raises this question, right? Like when you're doing induction in pen and paper, it raises this question of, wait, what is my induction hypothesis again? How does, what do I get for free here? How does things relate to each other, right? Like, can I actually apply this theorem or is it anything failing or missing here? But with Koch, with, with an interactive theorem prover, no, you, you don't need that. It's kind of like he's, he's guiding you through this process. He will give you the induction hypothesis for you and will make sure that you're just applying things that are supposed to be applied at this point. So that can also feel really nice if, if things are, are going in a, in a nice way. And he also said that ta tactics are clear. And we didn't actually... Didn't actually teach that much LTAC in this course, right? Because one, because once you, you start learning how to actually come up with your own, own tactics, then you can actually come up with even more clear proofs, right? Because then you don't need to, to be naming your variables all the time and your hypothesis. You can, you can just do this huge proof of this, this huge you can do a huge manipulation of your proof just by applying this one tactic and, you know, like inversion and then substitutions and rewritings all in this one tactic that will, will encapsulate much of the tedious parts of, of the proof in whatever context you're doing, right? That's kind of the idea presented in, in CPDT from Adam Shipala. And it's a really good idea, honestly. It's a really good way to think about your proof engineering here at this point, but Again, in this course, we don't go that far. There's something, something that I wanted to share. And the last guy here, he also talks about type inference, which was, which was surprising for me. But it's it's actually a really good thing because I was actually making this comment to to Patrick the other day because he didn't know that that ML. So ML was the f well, maybe maybe I'm, I'm saying something that is not quite quite right, but the best of my understanding, ML is the first language that that had type inference done really well, right? Like with Robin Milner type inference. So you don't actually, even though your system is strongly typed, you don't actually have to go through all of these tedious details of how all your, or what are all the types that you're actually mentioning here and there, right? If you ever use Haskell and OCaml, you know this. It doesn't, just because you're, you're using your, Defining a function that doesn't have a type signature doesn't that does not mean that your function is not strongly typed. Your function is still strongly typed. It's just been inferred for you. The compiler is doing that work for you to figure out what is the type that is going on here. That's type inference, and it's 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 really strong and it's really beautiful. And again, to the best of my understanding, the first language that that actually implemented this strong strong notion of type inference was ML. Just ML, not not SML, just just ML. And ML was created for for was and, and, and ML is a language that was designed in order to create a theorem prover called LCF back then. 
It was done in Edinburgh. I don't know which year because I suck with eight years. But my my main point is that type inference, in a way, was was kind of created for a language to do through improving, interactive through improving, which is which is really really exciting. Okay, next question: What are the things that you dislike about Cock? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what I dislike about Cock? Mm, well, I mean, it's not a problem with Cog, but I think it's the nature of uh, the problems we uh, deal in Cog. Sometimes you get stuck in proofs, and um, I don't know, like you get stuck and you 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 cannot proceed, right? So, um, I mean, it would have been nice if the language can. I mean, I don't know. If the language has any, I don't know, hints or anything, any, some mechanism to help you. <laughs> uh, to give you more hints and to, to give you more feedback. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, these, yeah. Are, these are approaches that you could try here at this point or, you know, like exactly. maybe yep, invoking yep, yep. some machine learning techniques to try to prove things for you, right? And right, actually, right. maybe you don't know this, but this other three improver, Isabel, they have this tool called Sledgehammer that calls a bunch of SMT. SMT solvers on the back, just to try to literally sledgehammer your your, your tool <laughs> 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 It's done. Yeah. <laughs> so that doing doing something with that in cock would be really useful. And actually, mm -hmm. there is a tool yeah. in cock called Cockhammer. Uh, I, I don't have I don't know much much of the details about what that tool actually does, but. I heard at some point that it's not really the same as Sledgehammer, which is expected because the underlying theorem of Isabel is kind of like higher order logic. And here in Coq is kind of like the lambda calculus. So there is this kind of mismatch going on there. It's kind of like simpler to translate things to an SMT solver in Isabel. I believe. Might be wrong, but mm. seems, seems about right. Patrick? Yeah, what else? <laughs> Yeah, I think like when we talk about like what do we dislike about Cog, it's kind of weird because we're all like um, new students, so we have very like um, surface level things that we dislike about the programming mm -hmm. language or, or about like our experience with it. Like, um, I actually, I guess I was just kind of remembering since we talked about like how the tooling was so good. We had that comment about how the tooling was so good for Cog, right? Like, but I remember like my two gripes that I always had with the Cog tooling was one, you couldn't do any um syntax formatting for this apparently there's like this cock thing called beautify like dash beautify it actually breaks your code no it's like with these it, 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 it like formats and beautifies your code and you can't run but it, it doesn't anymore. work anymore <laughs> so wow. that's the thing so what, what, what we're saying is that Cock code cannot be beautiful otherwise it won't <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but, but VS Code had some sort of formatting, right? If you type, I don't know, like QED, it aligns with proof and stuff like that. I think VS Code had some, at least has some auto indentation. has a little bit of auto completion. Yeah. Though I guess right. VS Code also has this thing where like, if you have a period, sometimes like I would like try and like enter 
to go to the, like the next line or something like this, and it would mistakenly think that I'm trying to autocomplete the period thing, and it would oh, like, I hate when that happens. Random, uh, right, right. You put in some like completely random like word there that I, I don't understand why right, it's coming right, from. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that that's happened. always the first scene that I disable in any ID is, is autocomplete. <laughs> Dude, that's my personal hell. I hate when I tr- just type in there and I was like. There is this random piece of code line oh, there. Oh, you uh, mean no. like for any, any, any language you don't like autocompletion? Yeah. Oh. No, yeah, it's true hmm. autocomplete. Let, oh. let me do my own errors, okay? <laughs> 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 I, don't need, I don't need the tool to make my errors for me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, for a language like Java or something or building, I don't know, like a system, I would... No, no. I would oh, like okay, fine, <laughs> fine. Having, but then, I but then, I would, I would prefer. I usually prefer if there is a key binding to activate when I want to search for the autocomplete, right? For example, control space, and then it it shows the bar where I can choose. Okay, these are the things that I can autocomplete now. I'm gonna pick this one in particular, right? Don't just go ahead and out, try to autocomplete things while I'm I'm, I'm, I'm typing here, and then I, <laughs> I just press enter because I want to go to the next line. No, no, that's not what I'm trying to do, <laughs> right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I've I think I've had good experiences with with like auto completion from IDEs, especially where you're in languages with a lot of boilerplate, or like yeah. uh, I know the the class the thing that I always use it for is um, in Rust when you're implementing a trait. There's usually you have some function signature or a set of functions that you have to implement for some trait, and it can go and you can just it'll automatically just give you the skeletons of all these yeah, different yeah. functions and you yeah. can just, oh, cool. and then now you now it takes care of all the little like syntax stuff that you have to worry about right. and you can just go ahead and like uh fill in your the body of the statements and stuff like this um yeah, versus nice. like for some reason in, in cock like or at least in the the, the vs cock extension like autocomplete just it doesn't work the way i expect it to so it always it always throws me off whenever it's trying to do something so i don't know it just but then again i'm super spoiled with I feel like Rust has a very like very good tooling story. Yeah. Like they they put a lot of effort into like the program experience. So like yeah. everything compared to that seems a little lackluster. It's completely to be completely honest, I think this tooling has improved dramatically from my from when I first started working with Cock because we didn't even have VS Code. I remember the Vim plugin to do to actually work with Cock was completely broken. If I remember correctly, it's back. We have a new Vim plugin now. So if you wanted to use Cock, you would you would either use Cock IDE, which was really hard to use on a larger setting. You know, like if you have a, a larger code base, things would break really fast because then you know, like have to make your code, and then the the, the Cock that is being used by your console might not be the same that your ID is using. And I, I saw some students still also had that problem this semester. But um, things has, has, has improved dramatically in my point of view because, I don't know, like, Kong doesn't get that much money to implement tooling either, right? Like, this just is a small research... Uh, how do I call Inria? Inria is this research facility, let's put it that way in, in France, right? And it's basically, you know, some researchers doing this work, right? So, yeah, it's really nice if we get more tooling, good tooling for Cog. There are some, there are a few really good people working on this. I remember when we were at Uppsala, if you remember Clement Pital, he was doing some, some tooling work for... Electrion, so in order to show your proofs in the website and follow follow along, 
and also printing stuff. I don't remember all the details, but it's it's some really really amazing work. And I remember he's saying like <laughs> people here doing doing this sort of work and and cock, we are very resilient to bad tooling. That's his, <laughs> that's his strong opinion about it. And I agree. I agree. We there's a uh, there's still a lot to be done to have good tooling for for cock and other interactive theorem provers as well. Okay. Um, let's see here what other comments we have here. There is a guy that is really snarky about notations. <laughs> <laughs> notations. I never properly understood the notation mechanism because the cock compilers always complain when I try to do something new. <laughs> this was not an issue for the homeworks because they were set up properly and we didn't have to tinker with notations. So again, this is a good point about how how Ben and Benjamin Pierce, how instructors do a good job in sheltering the students and providing this really good environment that makes sure that things does not break. But I, I wanna, I wanna stop at, at this comment for a second. Notations, because I think notation is both, is both, is both an amazing, amazing feature of Cog and a really devastating feature at the same time. Why? Think, think about it for a second. What the notation in Cock is doing is effectively changing your language, changing the actual syntax, the actual grammar of your language at runtime. What other programming language does that? I've really never seen any other programming language that's doing that before. If the listeners know any any other language that actually does this, you, you change the syntax of, of your program, the grammar of your program at runtime. And in a sense, this is not what ma macro does, right? Macro is just expanding and, and extending things. I think maybe C++ has, has, has a, a somewhat similar notion uh, in defining operators. But still, Cog gives you the full power of going down at your syntax and change anything you want. If you want to break pattern matching by changing the, that syntax with notations, you can. I've done that before, and it, it's, it's, it's hell. It's <laughs> things can go really wrong when you use notations, so you have to be really careful. But at the same time, if you use them well enough, you know, like if you behave yourself, which is kind of what I believe the the fathers of Cock was doing, is like he's trusting that everyone here are are you know adults and know what they're doing and they're not gonna break things catastrophically. Notations can be really, really helpful because it will provide you this nice little grammar for you to talk about whatever you're talking about, right? Like to actually reason about your 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 tools, right? You can actually come out instead of showing this this big syntax, you can actually you can actually shorten things up and use mathematical notation, and then you can provide precedence to show how this notation work and and you don't need to use parentheses and all of that. So it cleans up a lot when you're, when you're doing your stuff. And then it's a lot cleaner and easier for you to look at your code and know what you're doing. But on the other hand, what, it, what, what may happen is that every time that you migrate from one cock project to another cock project, say you're changing labs or you're working with other people or you want to contribute on this open source cock code, you will have this hump time that you have to learn all the notations that you're using. So effectively, what may happen is that you can you have to learn 
another language, just to start contributing in this other project, right? And that's not really great. That's not really great. But as I said, if using parsimoniously, things can work and things can work really well. But if they don't work, they can not they can also not work really badly. So those are my two cents about notations. They're great and awful at the same time. But they're really great. But awful. Uh did you guys do anything with notations or just use whatever was there? Yeah, I just use whatever that is there. <laughs> but it, it makes sense what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I filled with it. I, I agree that um like notations, especially from like the new student perspective, is like the best and also like the most confusing thing about cock. It's the best thing in the sense that whenever, like whenever we would write out like our little type inference rules or we, um, or any of like the any of our formalisms, a lot of time you could almost like almost copy and paste the formalism, and you can now make that part of your um, whatever like whatever the statement you're trying to prove, or you could write it as part of um, one of your cases. And then on the other hand, though, it's like also, it also seems very confusing. Like there's these things like notation levels. Like what is this, what does a level 40 notation level actually mean when you're doing this kind of stuff? <laughs> or yeah. I, think, I think what's even worse actually is when you have notations that are not a single symbol, but they're like um, a set of symbols. So it's like you, you might have some like outward brackets and then you have like some parts in the middle. Because what makes that difficult is now it's hard to search if you have a single um, piece of syntax, like just like a plus operator, you can search for this thing. And it's that's very straightforward because it's just one symbol. But when you have like a full like array of symbols that are count as like one piece of syntax that you're supposed to match on, it actually is like non-trivial just to like craft your whatever your search match, right. your, I don't yeah. know, your search pattern for that, uh, for that um, your search pattern for that syntax. And that can get kind of frustrating because you're like, I thought I could just, you know, match on this little, you know, this little piece of it, but I actually need to use this combination of brackets and underscores and try and get it just right. And so you actually, in some sense, when you're looking at syntax, you're not sure, is this like one, is this, is this, this symbol for one operator or is it like multiple symbols together form one operator or like what exactly is going on here? And then I guess you have to kind yeah. of look up and eventually, hopefully yeah. you find a Stack Overflow post that tells you about you can you can unset all of no, you can do like an unset all notation. Was that true? Oh, no. Yeah, on. yeah, that, that's definitely Sorry. a thing. You can unset all your notations. Yeah, I wish I wish there would be a simple way for you to you know click on a symbol and it will tell you what is the notation, like what and where does it come from, right? Like wh which file is it at, and how can I go there and and see exactly what this notation is doing, right? I like to see a tool like that. And and I think another thing was um, uh, errors, like uh, if we have fancy notations and stuff, and if oh, we yeah. encounter some error, it's yeah. the error message is not clear at all, right? Yeah. I think yeah, I think say some type error, this will yeah. match this and that, but it's yeah. really hard to you know like find what is going wrong sometimes. Yeah, yeah. that's that's actually another another complaint that I have here in the in the survey is that when error happens, it is difficult to identify the trace. And I I definitely agree with you. It's really hard to debug cock code. I think I think in general, that this is my personal my personal point of view. It's in general it's hard to debug functional code, right? Functional programming code. In general. 
because there is no actual stack trace. It's just one huge, you know, like function. You can say that way, like just a function, you know, like maybe you can see what function called what, but there is no, you know, like step-by-step of what is being done and you cannot, it's, it's hard for you to kind of like step through the execution of your code, right? Because there's not really step true in a sense, right? Just a computer. So I guess like you're saying, like when you when you chain multi like if you have an iterator and you're chaining like multiple maps and folds, like a lot of these these things together, it's kinda of hard to debug what's going wrong because it's all yeah. it all kinda yeah. happens together. Yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. I was gonna say in general, like lazy computations are harder to de- debug because I mean, it. I mean, if you have some imperative code, you you can basically step through the code, and you know you know what's going on. But on the other hand, if you if your computation is kind of lazy in the sense that um, I don't know, like if you have a map, it does not actually perform a map. It only creates like a representation of the the map operation, and then uh, I don't know. Once one, once you like on the actual result, then you would actually do like the computation, right? Um, yeah. yeah, in general, I think it's that might be uh, relatively harder to debug. I don't know, because, yeah, compared to imperative code. But I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be kind of, there are ways to introduce trace in, say, Haskell programs. There is good library for that. But in Coq, that's really hard. And also you're not only debugging not only your code, but then sometimes you have to debug your your inductive data types, right? And you don't run your inductive data types, you're gonna see it much later that, oh, this definition here is not allowing me to go through this particular case of this particular of this particular proof that I'm doing here. And I have to go back and rethink what my inductive data types actually should be doing, right? So it requires a lot more reasoning up front, right? Requires you to sit down and look at your code up front and reason if things make sense, right? Whereas in imperative code, you can, you know, like do unit testing and try this, try that, then see if it works as you expected, right? Yeah, I guess that's but, the thing with inductive data types. That you, you mm-hmm. only figure out that your inductive data type is wrong when you're in your proof and you're at the very, and you're like all the way down, you've gone down some branch of your proof and you've reached a point and it's impossible for you to prove. And like yeah, after right. you've banged your head against this this, this thing, you're like, <laughs> this is actually impossible to prove. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, okay, I messed up somewhere in my inductive data type. Right. I need to back yeah. up and, and redefine it or something yeah. like this. Yeah. This reminds me, I was doing a proof today that I was like, I was doing this proof. I was really down deep in the woods. And then much later on, I'm like in the middle of a proof. I'm like, and then I get to this impossible because I'm like, what is going on here? Why is this E1 and not E2? Where does E1 come from? This makes no sense. What 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 went wrong? Oh my god, there's some some something wrong in, in the lemma that I'm trying to prove. What what's what went wrong, right? And then I stepped back two cases and then the error came from the definition of, of my function. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I had to go back to the function and and change E1 to E2 exactly as as you're saying, right? Because <laughs> I it just didn't make sense, but I could catch it very early on. It was easy for me. So I was lucky, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it happens. So yeah, trace and debugging and error is is hard. I I would in general I would tend to agree with that. 
And finally, another another complaint that we have here, or at least another another thing that he disliked was LTAC. Another thing is LTAC and any other related proof automation tactical. While the given tacticals work for the homework, I'm still not sure if I'm confident of writing LTAC tacticals myself, for instance. In the last few homeworks, I knew that some parts of the proof can be automated because most of the subcases followed a similar pattern, but never bothered to write LTAC and instead copy and pasted the tactics myself. I think this is a this is a general approach when you're programming, right? Like if you're in this small little case over here and it doesn't cost you too much to do a copy and paste, you go ahead and do the copy and paste. That's no big deal, right? But then later, when you see that you're doing your copy and paste again and again and again and again and again and again, maybe you should make a function for that. Or in this particular case, maybe you should do an LTAC for that, right? Like abstract away the tedious details and pull that off, right? So another thing that I was commenting to to to, to Patrick offline was that I understand that when you're first learning Cog, looking at the syntax for writing LTAC can be a little, you know, horrifying because you know all those question marks and brackets and errors and match goal. What? What is going on here? But then I remember I remember feeling like that when I when I was first learning, right? Like I was like, I was scared of LTAX. What is going on here? I have no idea. Like it's just this huge amount of information that is just doing magic, right? But once you actually sit down and you and you put in your head, okay, I'm gonna sit down to learn LTAC. I swear it's so much easier than it looks like. You you sit down for a couple of hours and things are really straightforward. You already know what pattern match is, right? You just have to apply this knowledge of pattern matching to the context of your proof here in Coq, right? And once you do that, you start realizing all the, the amazing magic that you can do to actually manipulate your goal without ever having to name anything. You don't have to talk about, you know, like have X equals Y. You don't actually have to do like destruct EQBXY, right? Because that's how you do the 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 checks if you're... If you're if X is actually equal to Y, right? Like if you're, if you're in an if branch, for example. So an LTAC can do all of that for you with, with a very simple, small, and elegant piece of word, right? So it can help a lot, like a lot, a lot. And it's really nice. And it's much easier to learn than you would expect. So if you use Coq and you didn't learn LTAC yet, I would suggest that you would take a look at it. It's, it's a really low effort sort of knowledge that you can gain that will buy you a lot and save you a lot of time. I guarantee you. So it sounds like there's a lot of parallels between, uh, maybe almost intentionally by the name, between LTAC and LaTeX, writing LaTeX, um, LaTeX reports and whatnot, if you think about good, it. Because LaTeX is just question. one of these things that it's, it's um, always super, um, it's super scary to look at. And before you've actually ever written a LaTeX, it's very, it's very strange and like makes no sense. <laughs> it's also True. super powerful when you're actually able to write it because then you can make, you can write documents and stuff like this, and you, you have an incredible amount of control over um, whatever you're writing. The error messages suck because it's all <laughs> macro and all this kind of stuff. There's no oh, traces yeah, yeah. on anything that you're doing, and. Yeah. Um, 
you can't examine anything and you're doing all this weird syntax manipulation. So you, you right. kind of hope that anything works out well. <laughs> so I think there, I think we could learn. There's a lot of parallels here. <laughs> that, you raise a really good question, actually. Why is it called LTAG? You, you've got really good points, but, but I don't know. All your points are in the bad side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there was the thing. It's both, I think in both cases, once you actually sit yourself down, to actually like learn yourself some uh, learn yourself some LaTeX or some LTAC, uh, then you'll you'll actually realize oh this thing is super it's super painful yeah. but it's super powerful to use right yeah so yeah it's like life it's like a life changing thing that you learn. I agree. Nowadays, one of my personal hells, as you'll notice, I have many personal hells. Like, but one of them is when I have to use Word to interact with with people outside academia, right? Word doc, a Word document or a dot doc, right? It's just, ah, uh, so painful. It's so painful. Like LTAC is just everything just so clean and, you know, like I can do my own macros and, and use Vim and then I don't have Vim. And then then all of a sudden I'm trying to, in Word, I'm trying to, to type the Word to be a particular size and then I do enter and I want to go back to the original size, but I'm, I'm stuck in this, this, environment with this huge word no I, I wanted to go back to the original size uh, what i do and then yeah it can be painful because i have to use my mouse a lot and i hate that too i think other vimers can also relate to that so does word online have a vim plugin that would be fun anyways we went in a really big tangent there uh you're not gonna you're not gonna cover the most fiery take of all in terms of in terms of the things we dislike about cock dislike oh the name <laughs> yeah the name that's the your do you have any hot yeah. takes pedro that is literally the next thing that i had here what's the hardest thing uh, what do you think is the hardest thing about learning cock <laughs> is that is that the one no that's not the one anyways that that would be the the another topic that i would bring up yes and you are definitely right and I think we have to change the name as soon as possible, right? Like there's there there's stuff happening under the hood, you know, like there is a lot of community mobilizing and uh, the developers, they're actually really open to changing the name. So things are happening, things are in the move. I don't think, I don't know if they chose the new name yet, but I have... In the last cock meeting that I participated, I was under the impression that this is something that is happening. It's just a matter of time, right? And I understand it can it it it's, it makes sense to to take a little while, right? Because there is a lot of tooling happening under the hood, right? Like there's a lot of of code written with this this other stuff, you know, like there's cock platform, there's a whole rebranding happening as well. So it makes sense to make to to take time. But yes, I agree with what Patrick is, is saying. Um, I don't know. To be completely honest, I feel like Cock... Uh, to give a little bit of background, I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if the listener knows this. But it makes sense. In a way, it makes sense why Cock's called Cock for a couple of reasons. Like there, there is a couple of things that, that make it a good name choice. The first one is that Cock means rooster in in French, right? So in French, there is no harm in that word. The second one is that the name of the creator of the calculus behind cock, oh yeah, 
The calculus behind COG is named Calculus of Constructors. Sorry, the name behind COG is named Calculus of Constructions, COC. And the name of the creator of the Calculus of Constructions is Thierry Coquin. So you take, you take those three facts together, you're choosing the name COQ, makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice play of words, right? But at the same time, I feel kind of like this is kind of a joke that the, sorry, 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 Coca, sorry for anyone who was, who was making this, this language early on. It might not have been your, your intention, but sometimes I have this feeling, you know, like using this tool nowadays that Co the name cock is, is also kind of a joke with, with English speakers, right? Like you're, you're, you're there and you say cock in French and there is no harm, but when you, an English speaker is going to say it, it's, it's really funny, right? <laughs> but that's the thing. Now cock is it's a really prevalent tool in our field and it's kind of un, 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 unprofessional, unprofessional, right? Like there, was, there are some days that... Uh, that, I, that I'm in a coffee shop and then we're talking about cock and I speak it a little too loud because I have that tendency to speak a little too loud and all of a sudden there's these weird people giving us weird look like, what, why are these guys talking about porn? <laughs> They've been in a coffee shop, these guys are weird. And I remember there was a tweet as well from Talia Ringer that she was, you know, like talking about her research in, a, in an Uber. And then the moment she mentions that she does research with cock, the guy completely changes the the way she's treating her, you know, like starts kind of like sexualizing and and making assumptions about about her. And my point is that the current name is not very welcoming for the, for females in our community, which are not many at the current point. So just to to finish this point is that it's more than time for us to change the name of this tool. What else do we have here? Uh, what do you think is the hardest thing about learning Coq? I think it's adapting to the new setting. I had some prior experience in functional programming, so that part was not difficult. Even though I had experience with pen and paper proofs, I felt like some Coq proofs are just totally different than pen and paper. And sometimes I was, I was able to come up with a proof sketch in pen and paper to prove some things, but it was really hard to translate that to Coq. And I get it. I get it. It's it's very different. Like you're trying to teach the program how to do the proof, right? So the the cock has a it's very opinionated on how this this proof is gonna work, right? Like you have to use the calculus of inductive constructors, constructions. I always say constructors. You have to use the calculus of induction const inductive constructions, and it's it's really different from what you're doing in pen and paper, right? Like it's a it's a lot more. You really to, you really need to provide a lot more details, so it, it, it's expected. It makes sense. So yeah, that's that's kind of hard, but it takes. After some time, you learn you learn to think in the same way that Cock expects you to think in a way, right? Mm. Yeah, I think this is what a lot of people end up getting frustrated with is that like. They, they sit at this thing and they're like, I know this is true. I know, like, I could prove it. Like, if I, if I was doing this in pen and paper and, you know, and when you're doing a pen and paper, you can kind of, like, gloss over some stuff and skip some stuff and stuff like this. It's like, I know I can prove this. 
but then you're 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 sitting down actually trying to get your the IDE to or get you know get get your code to be accepted, and it's like for some reason you, you just can't convince Cock to to accept your code. And sometimes it might be something super simple, like even at like the very beginning, like how it's always like so annoying that like it doesn't deal with like the you know some natural number times one. It's like just accept that you know natural number yeah. times one is just the natural <laughs> number, right? But instead you have to go and you have to do some whole rewrites and you have to like, and that's like something after, at the end of the course, you know, I'm like, okay, I know how to, I can do this like almost without thinking. But like when you're starting out, like those things are just like, are some of the most annoying things because they're the most yeah. obvious. And yeah. they're also the things that cock is like the most of a stickler for, you know? <laughs> True. But I think this example you gave uh, a common strategy to, to get past that is kind of like just assert what you want by, by Leah. Because Leah is really good on solving these equalities for you, you know, like bringing equalities, that sort of stuff. So you assert whatever you want, you do the rewrite, and you're good to go, right? Because Leah should should be able to accomplish that really easily. So that's a hint. But, but in sure. the beginning beginning of the course, we we was in yeah. the way yeah, oh, yeah, neither sure. we were allowed allowed to use. That's, yeah, I guess. That's another thing that I think that when I was learning cock, I I, I was kind of annoyed as well, is because. Since the community, since it's still it's still really really small community, so nowadays we have a formal proofs overflow, right? Stack overflow. I, I forgot the name, but um, back then I would have to go to the IRC of Clock in order to to get some feedback to learn these techniques, right? Like I'm I'm stuck with this thing, like what what should I do? And I would have to hope that someone well intended would come and help me, and they helped me a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't have anyone that was teaching and could 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 help me on these trivialities, right? Because this is just a matter of having more experience. So it's really nice that you, you guys are are in a position where you can get this, you know, like these insights firsthand and really really easily. So like you you save a lot of time learning this stuff, right? And I, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners actually I've been getting some some messages saying, "Hey, I'm a software developer in this place. Like, I don't have anyone to talk about this stuff. So I'm really happy to be listening to your show." So I think it's many listeners will will agree with this, you know, like solitudes in a way, right? Because it's just such a small community, and we that are inside this community we don't realize how small it is because we are inside the community, right? Like we have peers, we have friends, we have our advisors that all speak the same language and we all know, you know, like programming languages and, and clock and, and this stuff, but it's not the average. It's not how everyone perceives, right? And it's one of the reasons I came to do my PhD in the in the US actually, because in Brazil, there there are no people working with clock. I, I looked it up. There were, I think there was like one professor, one professor. Maybe nowadays things has changed. So if you're in Brazil and you're doing PL and in particular using clock, send me an email. I want to talk to you. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was just gonna ask, like, do you think there's like a? It seems like Cock has like this weird bifurcation where like you're either like a complete newbie who's like you're you're taking you're you're learning Cock for the first time, you're doing software foundations, or you're like this super experienced you know Cock researcher, and like it seems like there's very few people in the middle. Is that like is that an accurate assessment or no? Do you think that's that's pretty much how I feel. Yeah. But but isn't it true for true for any any language though? Mm. I think that's kind of like PhD students, right? Like me. 
I would consider I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm not as nearly as as a as a cock hacker god like Chipala or or Ben. Even even Ben, he, God, he's he's so good doing stuff. You know, like sometimes stuck with something and he's like, yeah, just just apply this like that and do this function here with this LTAC blah. He's worked, right? <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a, a, another big point that I think out of yeah, there are a lot of opinions on, on on this one. What is the hardest thing to about learning clock, right? And we have some pointers here about documentations. Do you want to say something about this, Patrick? Uh, sure. I I th the sense I've gotten is that in uh, the documentation, it's if you're stuck on something uh, when you're doing your cockroach or you're, you're trying to figure something out, like the you're, you're pretty much kind of stuck with like some kind of textbook like software foundations or one of the other um one of the one of these other like teaching textbooks like you can kind of go to stack overflow like a little bit but especially as a new uh, as a new like person to cock a lot of like a lot especially like the formal like, the official documentation is not very approachable you're not going to have much luck trying to yeah. like look through some of this stuff and i think that's kind of something that i've talked to you pedro about is like even <laughs> stuff that seems simple you start to look at the documentation and like unless you have a lot of background knowledge you're gonna get really lost and as far as i know i don't think i've met a single person in the class who's been able to use like the official documentation for anything so like everything we've everything you kind of learn is like textbook i i think i use the the documentation for referencing syntax sometimes because um so there was this uh, case um i don't remember specifically what it was but uh let's say there is a there was a boolean right and i i wanted to like distract and uh, do like a case um case by case proof and uh, when i do a, a distract then i don't see the the boolean equals true oh yeah. you context. haven't you haven't remembered the this is like we have to exactly, exactly. Equivalent, colon, ah, yeah, right yeah. right right i wasn't aware of that or i forgot that and then then i was like okay this is i mean this shouldn't be the case right it should be in the proof context mm. and then i looked at the documentation and i saw eqn and there then i realized okay i should put this part so i mean that was kind of helpful helpful but uh, again, if you are stuck in a proof, then I don't think documentation helps uh, you at all, right? Because it's, I mean, if you don't know the tactic to use, then I don't know how you would you would use documentation. Yeah. I've always been bad reading documentations, especially because when I start, first started learning how to program, English is not my first language. So it was hard for me to go to the documentation because it's, it's this really technical language and it's not my first language. So I would get completely lost. Doesn't matter what documentation it was. So I think like, as I've been, you know, maturing as a software developer, let's put it that way. I've always tried to avoid a little bit documentation, but taking on, on Patrick's point that he didn't know any students that use documentation. I myself, I think it's hard to, to understand. Like we were before before we started the episode, we were talking about this, and he was making a point. I'm like, wait, no, but auto auto is easy to, to look in the documentation. Everything you look in auto, and then we open auto, 
And then he's like, yeah, okay, so what's what's this 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 thing here? And I'm like, uh, and then we start clicking on things around and I'm really confused as well. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you've got a good point. Even even the most trivial tactic that you would expect, like auto, right? Like there is still some really serious technicalities going on in the documentation. And then Patrick, you were you were also saying how you would expect, you know, more code examples and what are the use cases for each one of the stuff in there. So I agree. Yeah, I think I think there's like I think you kind of need something in the like in the middle. Like I'm sure the documentation works really well for like if you need like a like the full like very technical um, a lot of technical depth to what is actually going on with this tactic. Like the official documentation, I'm sure works really well. And if you have like absolutely no clue, I think the the textbook does a very good job of like kind of you know intro slowly introducing these things to you. But if you're in the, I, th I think like if you want to be like in the middle of like, I kind of understand some of these tactics, but like I, I'm looking I, and I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure how to use them or, you know, like I know like there's this, um, this auto thing and, you know, maybe I can also include other like tactics. I can use auto with other tactics or stuff like you want to see like, uh, you almost need like some, some like documentation. It's like, here's like the top like 50 tactics that you might want to use. And then for each one, just have like, here's 10 different ways you can use this one tactic and just kind of have a ton of examples. Cause I think especially as like a, as an, as a, as a new programmer and maybe somebody who doesn't have like all of the background that you might need to kind of read this stuff, but you have like a little bit, you kind of, you really lean on example, like coding examples. And I think once you see like examples, like even if the example doesn't quite tell you what you're, you know, this isn't exactly what you're looking for. Like, Oh, that like, it kind of helps you along your way versus like, Right now, it seems you're stuck with either the official documentation, which is seems it's very much for like an expert, or software and foundations, which is very much like it has to like explain everything to you, and it like slowly introduces this this information, you know. And of course, software foundations is also more it's more focused on like teaching you something, versus like I'm sure I, I wonder like if I was if I was you know like a, more of like a proof engineer, and but like I'm still kind of learning out uh, learning how to do this. Like, I don't need to like, I don't, I don't need to like get taught this. I just want to know the answer, you know, right. it's like, and yeah. how quickly can I, how quickly can I just find the answer that I'm looking for, you know? And right now it's like, well, I don't know. Hopefully there's a stack overflow post that does what you're looking yeah. for. Otherwise you're kind of, you're kind of stuck. I feel that a lot of the knowledge is kind of folklore in a sense, you know, like people just know this, but it's not written anywhere. So I also feel like we should definitely have more blog posts relating to Coq, you know, like more Stack Overflow questions. What's what's the name of the new Stack Overflow? There is a Stack Overflow just for proofs, just for for, for theorem provers now. I forgot the name, but yes, I agree. I definitely agree with with all of that. As, as I was saying, like if you're not part of the community, it's really hard for you to find these answers. But the people who knows, it's kind of like really straightforward for them, but they never wrote anywhere because they don't think it's worth kind of like just sitting down to share this particular piece of knowledge, right? So there's also kind of like some proof best practices for dealing with your proofs and whatnot that nobody talks about, you know, like, but there are particular ways and, you know, like people have kind of like struggled with these questions many times. And it's a really good thing that, for example, Shipala wrote his book because that's kind of like one of the, ideas that he was trying to 
to tackle, right? Like to share more of these knowledges that goes unsaid in his thoughts and what he's learned throughout the years, but it was not anywhere, right? Like it was not actually written anywhere. So that's really good. We, it will, it will be really nice if we start getting more of that. But in order to, to get that, we need a, a bigger community as well. So as we grow and as these ideas become more popular and prevalent, I have a good feeling that this will become more available and we'll have more documentation and more blog posts and more questions and, and all of that. So, okay. I think, is there anything else do you guys want to mention? Because I think I went through the most important part of the survey and I think I covered most of the stuff that I would like to cover in this episode. Is there anything that you guys think we left out? I think we didn't we didn't really talk about Avars, for example. Do you wanna do you wanna give a word about? I have plenty of things? I have plenty of a list of all the stuff that I don't like about. I I, I remember I started making a li- little bit of a list of stuff of stuff that I was like, hmm, <laughs> all this cool stuff that would have been better. I mean, there's like, what was it like the short list of like different? We kind of talked about documentation. Um, what else? I think that like what, so I guess the quick summary of like some of the pain points I feel like is like. Um, I feel like evars. There's a lot of like really like weird things that go on with evars with like this unshelve. How you do like unshelving is kind of annoying. Um, you have to do some like there's a lot of like very weird like parts that don't work very well. Like for example, like um, if you don't if you for evars if you don't give a user defined name if you use a gener- generated name, then you can't use. Sorry, with evars. You either normally you have a generated name. It's like a question mark M or something like this. Or you could do you could have as the programmer specify that this is going to be the letter M is going to be the name for this. If you as a user give that letter M as the name, then you can reference it later on in your tactics. But if it's per if it's generated by cock, if it's if it's uh, if it's a generated name, then you cannot name it. Then you cannot use it, even though in your IDE it looks the exact same. There's like a whole bunch of like these little, I think there's a lot of like little things that get kind of annoying. Um, but the thing is that if Cox generating, it could generating some, it could generate something else, right? Um, true, but like we already have this thing with intros, right? If you just, if you just do intros, then it generates a whole bunch of names for you and you can use those names. True. And it's not a, it's not a big deal. So like for, some, like for something, for some reason around Evars, there's a lot of these like little things that don't like line, they don't, they're not composable. With the yeah. rest of um, how how cock is designed, and I think yeah. that like also shown is shown in like the unshelf tactic. Yeah. That you can't semi, you can't semi colon the unshelf tactic. Like, oh my god. Anyways, um, so well, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. We we, we went through so this so many times throughout this semester because you were always so I'm still frustrated. Yeah, <laughs> and I just I just I just want to situate the listeners that one thing that I've been telling Patrick over and over again is that my personal feeling body of ours is that it's almost as if it's deprecated. It's not deprecated because it's really useful. It has its use, but you have to use it wisely. And what I mean by wisely is you use it when it just, in general, you use it because, I mean, I'm sure that there are some power users that really know how to the ins and outs of how this stuff are implemented and what are the proper ways to to instantiate things. And there's also other ways to instantiate that we're, we, we didn't teach and I personally don't know. 
but my understanding is that you should use eApply, eWrite, and these eVar tactics when, when you're confident that later on the you're gonna you're gonna match those those variables along the way, right? Because those are not really conveying any critical information about the proof that you're trying to accomplish, right? And the way that <laughs> the way that Patrick have been using it all along the semester was like, oh look, I, I have this 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 goal here and this sub goal that it, I can really apply the Z apply here, and I'll just do it, and then later on things should match. And then I would look at his <laughs> proof, and then he's expecting that Cox is gonna do a proof search for him, and we'll be able to to be smart on how to actually build this Evar. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> that's not what EVARs are like. This is not a good way to use EVARs because you're missing important piece of your proof when you're doing this this application. So I'm more so I would sit down with him and show him. Look, it will be more interesting if before we do this e apply, we actually massage our goal and our hypothesis a little bit more so that when we use the e apply, if we use the e apply, they will not get lost. They know much better. What are we expecting for, for the shape of this data here, right? And again, what he was doing is just like, yeah, so we apply all everywhere. <laughs> just try to do the most automation as possible. And we write and repeat, we write, we apply, we rewrite and we auto, right? Dude, no, that's not going to work because you, you're trying, what he was trying to do in a sense, you know, like do a proof, a complete proof search on all the possible subtrees <laughs> of, of his proof. Like, sure, it's doable, but you will need a lot more LTAC and, you know, like automation in order to make that actually happen. That's That's my point. Yeah, I think I always used um, yeah, <laughs> e, e apply or e exist when whenever I knew that right down down the proof I would or like, e exist is even worse because because right. the existential is actually where the the important piece of information of your proof is going to happen, right? But sometimes right. you know that this existential is trivial from the exactly. context that you have, but when you're doing a proof with existential, that's not usually what you're what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right? You actually yeah. have you actually, that's exactly what you want to do. It's like tell what this existential is about, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and e apply was really useful in um, what's it called holology because we, yeah. we sort of right. know what kind of yeah because we once you know the post con condition, it's you can fill yeah. it out like. Uh, yeah. one after the other right so sure it was yeah. it was useful in horror logic but it was when it shoots you in the foot the most as well because you need now this is this is something that you actually cannot use the apply it's when you're using for when you when you when you want to use in in the wild the loop you have to provide yeah, the yeah, looping yeah, variant yeah. right right and the right. looping variant is is undecidable in general, like providing right, a, right. a looping variance is undecidable in general. So if you use the apply, yeah. you're actually trying to do a proof search and an undecidable yeah. problem. So th right. this office is gonna, not going to work, yeah. Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, yeah, you, you have to know that, okay, the invariant you have to supply and right. Cork wouldn't find it for you. I mean... <laughs> so in your, so in Patrick was expecting... Patrick was expecting Cock to figure out the loop invariant for you. 
I mean, that would be, that would be nice. Would pop and solve my homework for me. You know? Well, since you're at it, just solve the halting problem along the way. Why not? Yeah, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> just use the apply and it'll. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the first, one of the first things people do is when they learn about um, e-constructors, like I'm, the very first thing I'm going to try is just do repeat e-constructor. <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And you know what sometimes happens though is that it runs forever and cock doesn't time out. So mm -hmm. it's actually just yeah. like it actually could lock up your entire ID and you have to yes. restart. Yeah. Well, but oh, that, there, there's yeah. there's usually a command that you can stop the ID, like stop the 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 proof, the proof engine. So in yeah. Emacs it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like control CX something like that. So Right. Mm. You have to learn. You have to learn that before you you do deconstruct. Yeah. <laughs> yes, once once that happened to me, and uh, my my ID key got stuck, and my entire machine got stuck, so I couldn't yeah, even right. Google. For the, yeah. <laughs> I knew you know, there is like a command that I can use to like stop the thing, but I couldn't Google it. So. <laughs> Dude, that has a, happened a to me in the past as well. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's almost like a rite of passage. Like once you learn about repeat and once you've learned about e-constructor, like the very first thing every new student must think, mm -hmm. almost thinks is like, what if I put these two things together? All <laughs> I can <laughs> be solved. Yeah. I'll solve all the problems, right? <laughs> Forever. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You're, you're going to defend mm. yourself somehow. What are you gonna oh. say? <laughs> yeah. No, that, I think that was, that's my. I think my defense is, is those two things. First, that you it's used pro, it, like despite you saying that it's deprecated. Like, well, a I don't think there's anything else that's come to replace it, right? And like it's mm -hmm. all it's also just prolifically used for like like doing horror logic and doing a lot of this other stuff. So I don't know. That's the it's thing. Like, so well, it's not know. it's not that really deprecated. Like it's not, but like. Well, I cannot say in the name of the the, the cock developers because I don't know what they're doing, but it's, it's it's kind of clear to me that it hasn't received as much love as other parts of of cock, right? And the reason is why is because there is a particular way that this is expected to work because it's really useful, but it's really dangerous as well. So yes, they could develop they could develop better tooling, you know, like better support and better way to make sure you're going to use it the proper way. But well, there are other things that are kind of more important. And this is not super, super important, right? Like this is just, if you use it, if you're, if you're really strict and, you know, like using it in this particular way that I'm mentioning, then it will help you a lot to save time. And at the same time, they're not going to bite you in the foot. Well, not bite you in the way. It, it, at the same time, it's not going to shoot you in the foot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind uh, wait, of what then I, I, have, I have one more thing I want to ask you about then. Did you, did mm. you see my thing on the survey about um, I should be able to search? If I, if, like, I think that search could be given a huge overhaul to make it a lot more useful. Because mm. a lot of times when we're doing search, you're either searching a name of something which means you probably already know what you're looking for, or you're doing like this whole like the searching annotation that we talked about a little bit. Well, sure, you like, you already I, know what you're looking for, but you don't know the lemmas around it. So, like, you want to look the lemmas of NB, for example, right? And do something yeah, right. So I, what and, I think yeah. we should be able to do is I think I should be able to do like 
um, search and then provide one of my hypotheses or provide yeah. like my goal or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then I want to, and then, nice. then yeah. I can see all of the lemmas that yeah. um, work for this. Mentioned parts of this goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That'd be nice. It's super great for like a bunch of reasons because one, it's um, now I don't need to worry about this whole like, do I actually have my whole the syntax right? Like when we're talking about notation, like this tricky part of making sure you've constructed your syntax in the right way that it matches whatever pattern it's looking for. Um, I mean, it's almost like whenever, almost whenever I'm doing search, I'm always looking for whatever lemma or something applies to my to a, a, a hypothesis or a, a hypothesis or a goal. So that's like like ninety percent of my uses of of search as a as like a as a learner of cock is is doing something like this, and then. Um, I had something else and I forgot it. Sad. <laughs> There's some other reason that search is also that doing search like this is super cool. Oh yeah, is that um, sometimes when you're when you especially when you have some of these notations that are overloaded across different contexts, like you can give plus or something like this, or like one of these like like the or like a less than operator, and it's going to give you like all uses of less than or plus in like across everything that you have, and it's that's then you're gonna have this giant list, and you have to like if you know what you're doing, then maybe you can kind of thin it down a little bit. But when you're doing, if you're doing search on like some kind of hypothesis or a goal or something or a goal like this, um, Cock knows what scope this is being used in, like um, like the NAT scope or the the string scope, or like all this kind of stuff. So it should be able to it should be able to on its own thin down the list of results it gives me without me having to go and like continuously craft my little search pattern and make sure I actually know like like even just like knowing as like um, knowing as like a, as like a learner like. What is like this whole like percent nats? It's like percent nat scope, but like you know every different iteration of these has like a different name. Like, can I even? How do I even find that name if I don't know what the name is? Like, where do I go looking for this? You know, like the like the, I think there's all these like little things that are just like they're not even like they're not impossible to overcome. You know, they're they're things that are doable, but it just it's like all these little things that add friction. And like, yeah, I think that if you if you provided like some super search thing. Like a super search on like this goal or a super search on this hypothesis, you could reduce a lot of the friction that like a new a new program would have without like breaking anything or ruining right. the experience. Dude, I was watching a, a talk the other day on a workshop, and people there would use Lean, and I was seeing all this this really nice automation and and search and 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 patterns for for Lean and. They had some. They have some really amazing tooling around this stuff. Like, I don't. I remember. I don't remember what IDE it was. And I'll, I'm. I'm. Tr I'm gonna try to find the video that I was watching to, to share with you guys. But I remember that this person was showing how he would, you know, hover his his cursor on some definition and or on some, you know, like token, some some name, and it will already, you know, like show a, a pop-up, a little pop-up thing with the definition. And then you could do a, some key bindings over there and then it would show what are the lemmas <clears throat> involved for this definition and, and and those stuff. Like There were other, other really amazing cool things about Lean as well that I don't remember right now, but I feel like there is definitely a lot of room for improvement in Coq that... It would be really nice to have. Often enough, I feel like Coq is too much of a research framework, right? Like it's research language where, you know, like 
just being developed on what are the cool type system or the cool stuff and not really worried about the usability. Well, sure, no, I don't, I, by no means, I want to say that the, the Coq developers are not putting any effort into this because I know they are. But my point here is that it's not their, their, their priority, right? They have other priorities. They have to still publish papers. They still have to, to go through whatever bureaucracy they have in France and, and usability and this tooling behind to make everyone's life easier is not the biggest priority, right? So I don't know. What we need is more money. I think that's what we need. Because if we had a lot of money, we could just, you know, like hire hire a person and say, okay, you are gonna make the most amazing search tool we ever had, right? <laughs> that would be really nice. I was actually talking with with one of the guys in, really involved with uh with Cog, um Yves Pierre, uh Yves, Yves Berthaud. And and he was saying like anyone can actually donate to Cock and and push towards their needs. I think you know it's kind of open kind of like a... way right now. I'm not sure how the development process, how open the developer the development process actually is, but I know that the Cock community is open to receive contributions in 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 every end and somehow. They're open for conversation. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a catch twenty two though, right? In the sense that if you um, you need more money to write better documentation and tooling to attract more users, but the only way you can get more um, more money is by having more users, more users, right? So is it though? In the cycle of like, is it though? Like why, why do you need more, you more users money? to have more money? You just need one really big and wealthy user. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Okay, true, but you're more likely to get this, you know, yeah. get this big wealthy user like this company if there are if they this company Maybe, has a whole yeah. bunch of people that they can hire. Not really. I don't know, man. People can be really driven by hype. So there is this really huge mathematician that comes up and say, "Hey, cock is the future and it's going to be revolutionary," and convince all these people. You know, like Elon Musk. Imagine if Elon Musk comes tomorrow at Twitter and is going to say, "Cock is the future of making sure our." Cars at Tesla are not going to break. Dude, really? Cock would have so much money. So much money. Billions of dollars like that. Tomorrow, we would have this amazing tooling for the search, for search and, <laughs> and all of that. I guarantee you. It's all about the hype. <laughs> yeah, but isn't Cock like 30 years old at this at this point? At the, the chance of hype is kind of low compared to all these great newcomers. Nah, the no, no, yeah. no, 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 dude. Lee Let me ask you this question. Adam. How many podcasts do you have about 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 cock and all of this? One active right now. It's this one. So okay. we're not <laughs> hyping enough. That's my point. If 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 we have more podcasts and video, we don't we don't even have, you know, like YouTube channels for this stuff. You know, like this this is really niche. And people who are interested in talking about this stuff is not getting out of, of their shells to, you know advertise the amazing this amazing world should be should be outside or maybe we're just you know like stuck here in our echo chambers convincing each other and there's not that much there there is less you know like it's less valuable than we expect it's a possibility which i really do not believe in because there are many grants being given to this sort of research. 
I believe it's a really good time to be doing programming languages research because, you know, the institutions that are giving money and gives, gives grants like DARPA and, uh, and even U.S. Army and INRIA and France, you know, like all over the world, all these institutions realize the, the value of having, you know, like based research for computer science, which is what we do here. We're doing based research for one of the most, pretty much the most important science that we have in the world right now. Everything's a computer, everything is, is a code, right? But again, we go back to my original point that yeah. our, our field is always the most important. Right. Because <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think we have talked plenty. I still have to edit. I don't want to make this another three-hour episode. That's that's really, really tiring for everyone. And I think we covered all the most important topics that we wanted to cover. I think it was a really nice and insightful episode. I'm really glad that you guys could come here. I'm really glad for everyone who did the survey so that we got a lot to talk here. I'm really glad that the listeners came to listen to us. Thank you so much for your audience make sure to go to the website and give your thoughts a little bit you know like what are your thoughts on the hardest thing when you you were learning cock or what would be your suggestions to make cock not only cock but interactive theory improvers in general i'll be very interested to know so thank you so much you two for coming and i hope you guys can come again in the future thanks for having us Pedro. yeah thanks for having us hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as i did recording it if you are enjoying this podcast please make sure to share it with a friend that's the best way to support our show because we're not taking much out of it don't forget to leave a comment in our website type theory for all.com what are the tools that you would like to see implemented in proof assistance what are the pain points that you think still exist and learn how to use them you can also share your thoughts on twitter just make sure to tag us at dt for all or if you're shy and you don't like you know all this noise of social media or putting your name on some comment you can always send a comment directly to our email type theory for all at gmail.com well that's it for today i hope you enjoyed it i'll see you next time <laughs>